You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. So we conclude our 2023 and Me series today, talking about our shared DNA as followers of Jesus. And if you haven't been here for the series, that's okay. I'll get you caught up uh, real quick on what we've been talking about. Talking about fundamental, foundational teachings of the church. Starts with a new year. It's important to get back to the basis of what we believe and, and what we think and what we understand about our faith. The first week, uh, just a small question. These have all been very small questions. The first week we said, who is God? Uh, How do we understand who God is? We talked about how God is, and it it depends. It depends on which lens through which, uh, in in order to answer that question, what lens are you choosing to, to answer who God is? But we landed in a place where God is creative and good, collaborative and mighty. God is creative and good, collaborative and mighty. I talked about how I was on the beach with my dad and and I asked him about about God and uh, he said, I know that there are fish under the surface because I can, the the, the birds are, are hovering over the water. The only reason the birds are there is because of the fish under the surface. I don't have to see what's under the surface to know what's there. If you can't see what's under the surface, look to the birds. And then next week, we talked about uh, another just small question of our faith. Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? We call ourselves Christian. We follow Christ. Well, who is this Jesus? Again, it depends on which lens through which you are looking in order to answer that question. Because the Gospels, uh, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all offer us a different flavor, a different portrait of who Jesus is. And the more we learn, the more we read, the more we are in community with one another, that portrait becomes more full. Like, for example, in Mark, Jesus is a mysterious healer and apocalyptic preacher. In Matthew, Jesus looks a lot like Moses, re-narrating the law on the top of the mountain for the people, being this great rabbi and, and teacher of the faith, revealing who God is. In Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus is a friend of outcasts and outsiders, those whom society feels are unwelcome and unimportant. He spends a lot of his time with them. And then in Luke's gospel, Jesus is almost a mystic, uh, suffering on behalf of the church, teaching with metaphors and, and layers, saying, I am the light of the world. I am the bread from heaven. So for now, for now, and there, there, there are plenty of things that we could talk about. We could talk about how Jesus is the incarnation, God in the flesh, or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, or the second person of the Trinity, and who sits at the right hand of God. But for now, for, for today, Jesus is what God looks like with skin on. Jesus is God in the flesh who reveals, yes, that God is creative and good and also collaborative and mighty. But God also loves us, or well, God knows us and still loves us. Jesus reveals that God knows us and still loves us.
that's a fine place to start. The following week, uh, Reverend Twyman, Megan Twyman, over at Broadmoor United Methodist, talked to us about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is advocate and teacher, the one who helps us to interpret the life of God. Now, the Holy Spirit, this is the same Spirit that drove Jesus into the wilderness. It is the same Spirit on the day of Pentecost that was the sound of a rush of a violent wind or a, <clears throat> a burdened wind that created this great miracle of language. It is the Holy Spirit that also prevented Paul from going to places where Paul wanted to go in his missionary journeys. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not so polite. The Holy Spirit sometimes prods and pushes and pulls us to go to places we dare not go alone for the sake of sharing Christ with one another and for the world. And even though that this Holy Spirit is, is not quite polite, the fruit of being connected with the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit that pushes and prods and pulls us is also the source of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, last week was tons of fun. We invited our children uh, to come forward. We were talking about what is the Bible. And the point, of, the point, the point, the Bible is a library of God's story inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the point, it was written down so that we might communicate it to the next generation. When the first Christians were dying off, they said, we need to preserve this story so, in that light, we invited the children to come forward because we are to communicate the story to them, to share our faith with them. So, we invited them to come forward and talk about what the Bible means to them and how they inspired our worship. We heard their favorite Bible stories and uh, about how before technology, it was the story of how God and Jesus got together. It's just fantastic. The Bible is a library of God's story inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we read the story through tradition, reason, and experience because Scripture needs to be translated. Scripture is ancient, and it is from another culture, which means it needs to be interpreted in community. What is the Bible? I'd love to tell you that, that I have the monopoly on all interpretation of the Bible. I would love if you left Asbury and said, our preacher said this about the Bible, and it is true in every context, in every time, in every situation. Matt Rawl knows the Bible so well that everything he says, he's never wrong about anything. That's a lie. And I see a lot of you laughing already. I didn't even get to the punchline, right? <laughs> Just, oh, gosh. You know, oh, I'll say this. If you ever do meet a preacher that that claims to have a monopoly on the interpretation of the Bible, you should just politely and kindly walk the other way. No one of us has the monopoly on interpretation of what the Bible means. Now, to be fair, I have read it more than once. <laughs> Went to school, right, to learn about, went to the best seminary United Methodism has to offer, right, Duke University. So when you, when you graduate from Duke, uh, you get two things. I don't know if you know this. You get two things when you graduate from Duke. You know, this great 
uh, 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 crucible of leaders and, and the stompers of Tar Heels, right? This great institution. Did you see the game last night? Uh, yeah, exactly. You get two things when you graduate Duke. One, you get a degree, and you also get an inflated sense of self-worth. So testify, right? No one person has the monopoly on what the Bible means. We wrestle with it. We, we imbibe it. We meet in community to talk about it. We have great Bible studies here uh, at Asbury. And I love, we, uh, on Sunday afternoons, it's so fantastic because we learn so much and we're, we're talking to each other about what it means. And I know, but I, I get nervous, right? Because I, I'm not the final word on these, what these things mean. And, and I get nervous when I see Robert Kyle, he starts flipping. When I'll say something in Bible study, he'll kind of have this, he'll kind of lean back and he'll do that kind of face. I call it in my family, the Steve Young face. Right? I've, I've preached on that before. He kind of you know, does that. And then I see him flipping through the Bible, and one of two things are going to happen. <laughs> either, either he's about to ask me a question I have no idea how to answer, or he's going to say something like, well, you just contradicted yourself from what you said four and a half years ago when we looked at this scripture from, it's a steel trap, man. It's a steel trap. Right? It's hard. <laughs> Reading the Bible and interpreting it is hard, but it is, it is a well it is a well of life. So, God is creative and good, collaborative and mighty. Jesus is God in the flesh, revealing that God knows us and also loves us. The Holy Spirit pushes and prods, but also comforts and transforms us. The Bible is the library of God's story that we share from generation to generation, written down so that we might teach. And today, today we conclude our series talking about the church. What is the church? What, it's kind of like, well, uh, what are you doing here, right? Uh, what, what are you doing in this place today? What is the church? And it's such an interesting question to ask when you're in the fishbowl, how do you describe how wet you are, right? Do fish know that they're wet? We're here at church. How do we describe what we're doing right now? It's kind of like Elijah uh, in the Old Testament. Elijah went up the mountain and he heard a single question. He went up the mountain to see the glory of God pass by. And Elijah heard, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's a great question, friends. We should ask ourselves that question every day. What are you doing here? It is my prayer every day. What do you have in store for me today, Lord? It's a dangerous prayer. Because it doesn't always go according to plan. What do you have in store for me today, Lord? Often I hear, what are you doing? <laughs> what, what are you doing here? What is church? Off and on through this series, we'll be talking about the articles of religion in the United Methodist Church. It's also helpful to look at these things. It's helpful for me to say, as a United Methodist, this is what you believe. Uh, I don't know how often you've looked at the articles of religion. Uh, and the first one, about God, eh, helpful. The second one, uh, about Jesus, wordy, but also helpful. The article today, it's Article 13, not as helpful as the others. And before you write a letter to the bishop, who we will meet in several weeks. We have a new bishop, Bishop Williamston, before at 527 North Boulevard, 70802. Before you write a letter to the bishop, I'm not advocating to change the Articles of Religion. In fact, we can't. I know some of our friends who are in new United Methodist-affiliated denominations, 
uh, say that the United Methodist Church is going to change their doctrine, and that's not true. We can't change our articles of religion. They are under restrictive rules. Even if we wanted to, at a 100% to zero rate, change our articles of religion, we can't, for good or ill, which is what you're about to see uh, in a second. So I'm not saying, so that you can quote me well on Twitter, I'm not saying that we need to change Article 13, but I am saying eh, it might be helpful to have a footnote or two as we look at it in answering this question of what is church. So let's take a look. Article 13, the United Methodist Church, what is church? Here we go. This is in uh, the Book of Discipline. The visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men in which the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments duly administered according to Christ's ordinance in all those things that are, are necessary uh, um, are requisite to the same. That's my typo. Don't blame Tommy for that one. No, that, that, that's my typo. In all these things that are necessary and are requisite to the same. What in the world? Okay, let's unpack that for a second. Let's just keep that on the screens for a second. Let's walk through. The visible church of Christ is a congregation of the faithful. Pause. The faithful. I've always been in a context where church is a place, not just for the faithful, <laughs> but for those who wrestle, those who ask, those who want to know more, to grow in faith, to get to a place where we say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If being faithful is the prerequisite for being in the church, then I'm not sure who will be left for red beans after worship today. And maybe you've never doubted in your life. Maybe you have never had a question and I salute you and I want to do coffee with you tomorrow to ask you how you have accomplished that in your journey. So there at least should be a footnote. The visible church of Christ is a congregation of those striving for faithfulness, those wrestling with God, those who are in the word and hoping to love God and love neighbor. Eh, maybe we should add a footnote. The visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men. Footnote. Right? It is meant to, yeah, yeah. It is meant to be, now it is meant to be inclusive, but it is certainly not. Right? Uh, maybe we should add a footnote and say, and women, uh, and, and, and children, right? Uh, faithful persons. We, we need to maybe, maybe broaden that out a, a little bit. The visible church of Christ is a congregation of the faithful. Maybe that rings true in which the pure word of God is preached. Pure, no pressure. The pure, pure word of God. Uh, we've just talked about how I don't have a monopoly on biblical interpretation. And I know, I'm glad you're all sitting down for this. I, I can be wrong sometimes. Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. The, the guffaw that comes from the back. No pressure to preach the pure word of God. Oh, mercy. And the sacraments duly administered. Now this, th we don't need to change this. There's no footnotes. This is perfect, just as it is. If you remember, first day at Asbury, we started celebrating communion every week. And that's why. It's the definition of church in the United Methodist Church, where the sacraments are duly administered, which means every time we gather for worship, there is to be the sacrament of Holy Communion. And I do chuckle a little bit, for those who want to be Orthodox Wesleyan who only have communion once a month. I just chuckle a little bit because in our Articles of Religion we are to duly administer the sacraments. 
as we gather for worship, to be the visible church. According to Christ's ordinances and all things necessary requisite to the same, which is meaning that in any way that that has to happen, do it, is the way of, of saying that. So, I'm not saying we need to change the article of religion. Can't wait for that soundbite on the internet. What I am saying is, maybe a footnote or two would be helpful as we wrestle with what it means to be a church together. So what is church? A fine definition is a Christian community organized for worship, study, fellowship, and service. That's a fine definition. Interestingly, as we walk through scripture, there is not one answer. The church is. In fact, we have five verses of the church is one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. And it goes on. If there's only one need for one verse and one answer, it would be a very short hymn indeed. As we read in 1 Corinthians 14, the church is described as the body of Christ. One spirit, one Lord, one body, many parts connected. Do not say you don't have need of the hand or of the ear. Or, I mean, someone has to be the appendix, but there is the body of Christ. That was a joke. That was a joke. Oh, yeah. Rough. Save me. See, when you preach in the African-American church, what happens is someone from the back at this point would have said, help him, Lord, help him. Right? The body of Christ connected together with one Lord, one spirit. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says that the church is the vehicle through which God's wisdom is made known. Where the church is to be a revelation and a radical kingdom where people can look at the church and know who God is. There's instances in scripture where the church is home gatherings. There's this idea on the day of Pentecost where, where the church is speaking in multiple languages and the Holy Spirit rests on them like tongues of fire. All of these things are in our story. So, what might Jesus say about the church? Our scripture lesson today is from, and I wrote it down on the other sheet of paper, Matthew chapter 16 Verses 15 and 16. No imperfections here. Let's put that up. Yes, here we go. I'm back up to verse 15. I'll say, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone <laughs> that he was the Messiah. What an amazing marketing plan that Jesus has. Here is the truth of everything. Keep it to yourself. Don't say anything yet that I am the Messiah. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Depending if you grew up Catholic or Protestant, you read this in a different way in the Catholic tradition. Upon this rock I will build my church. It is called apostolic succession. Jesus ordained Peter with authority, then Peter ordained so-and-so, who ordained so-and-so, who ordained so-and-so, all the way until today. That, that successive line right back to Jesus. On this rock, 
I will give my pastors and priests the authority to bind and loose through this apostolic succession of Peter. Now, and I hope this is not a deal breaker for you, but as a United Methodists, we are not in apostolic succession. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, is this news to you? Um, uh, John Wesley, uh, and, and the reason being is that a bishop ordains clergy, and, uh, but a bishop cannot ordain a bishop. Or a clergy person cannot ordain a bishop, right? There's a rank, there's a hierarchy. It's, it's why we have, there was Queen Elizabeth and then Prince, her husband was the prince, right? Not, not king, because the queen can't crown a king. It has to be the other way around for these rules, right? Well, in the church, a similar thing, a bishop ordains clergy. A clergy person cannot ordain a bishop. So John Wesley, as the United Methodist Church is growing in America, John Wesley asked the Anglican church, he goes, look, we need more pastors, in America. And the Anglican Church said, nah, we're good. So John Astley, John Astley, John Wesley asked again. I almost rickrolled myself there, there for a second. Um, John Wesley kept asking for more clergy, and uh, the answer was no. So what did John Wesley do? He ordained bishops. <laughs> Francis Asbury, our namesake, and, and, and Coke. Uh, both of Coke and Asbury, he named them bishop, and then they started ordaining clergy persons, which broke apostolic succession. Several years ago, the United Methodist Church and the Anglican Church and the Episcopalian Church were coming together because we were talking about what would it look like for us to merge and to like come back to the mother church because the United Methodist Church is a break from the Episcopalian Church, the Anglican Church. And the Anglican Church said, it's fine. We would love to have you. This is amazing, except all of your clergy need to be reordained. Well, we told them that they were number one um, and said, never mind, uh, we, won't, we won't do that. So we are not in this apostolic succession. So as a good Protestant, as a good Wesleyan, you read this when Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, you're reading this as the confession being the cornerstone of that church. To confess that Jesus is the Messiah, to confess that Jesus is Lord is the foundation of the church. And we sang it this morning. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Yeah? On that rock, I'll build my church. So church, maybe our definition of church needs to say something like, something like this. Church is our embodied confession that Jesus is Lord. The church is the embodied confession. In other words, church is not where we just talk the talk, but we walk the walk. It is an embodied confession that Jesus is Lord. Don't tell me about your faith. Show me what you believe. If we confess that Jesus is Lord, we will feed people and we will heal people and we will be with outcasts. We will be with those who are on the other side of the railroad tracks. We will be where Jesus sends us to be. It is an embodied confession, a confession with legs on it. Maybe that's a helpful beginning of church. Church is our embodied confession that Jesus is Lord. Here I am, Lord, send me. But it's also a place where we work out our wrestling with God and neighbor. Or as, as Philippians says, therefore, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
church is our embodied confession that Jesus is Lord, but it's also a place where we wrestle and we ask. And we sit with people we don't agree with and we break bread with them anyway. We wrestle with our understanding of God. When Jacob goes up the mountain and he wrestles with God all night, he leaves with a limp and a blessing. Church is that place where we wrestle and we might leave with a limp, but we are also leaved blessed and changed. Our embodied confession where we wrestle with God and also with our neighbor. As a good United Methodist, you know that theology is a practical theology. You can say one thing in your head and in your heart and in your prayers, but if it doesn't work on the street, you might need to go back to what you're thinking and praying and saying. John Wesley was a practical theologian. If it doesn't work in the field, maybe we need to go back and reassess an embodied confession where we wrestle with God. <clears throat> that wrestling at its heart is a holy curiosity of who God is. I hope that in this place you have a holy curiosity of who God is. What do you have in store for me today, Lord? It's a question we should ask every day. I've mentioned this before, right? Sin is an archer's term. It means to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye. That's what sin means. It means to miss the bullseye, to miss the mark. The worst way to miss is to be firing arrows into the crowd. Repent, metanoia, means to change your mind or to turn around. Stop firing arrows into the crowd. Turn around and at least face the target. That was Jesus' first sermon. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Turn around. Stop firing in the crowd. That's what sin is. Sin is pointless and people get hurt. So stop firing arrows in the crowd. It's pointless. You're not going to hit the target that way and people get hurt. Face the target. But here's the trick. The target is always moving because the target is affixed to God and God is alive and dynamic and moving and never in the same place. Therefore, every day we have to say, God, what do you have in store for me? Where are you sending me today? And I hope that you have a holy curiosity about who God is and where God is calling you to be. This moving target. At the very least, we should be curious much more than we should be judgmental. We should be curious about God and what God is doing much more than we should be judgmental of others. And the best way I've heard that explained in terms of missing the bullseye, hitting the bullseye, being curious and not judgmental is Ted Lasso season one. There's this great scene in Ted Lasso. He's in, he's in a bar. I know we don't talk about that, but he, he was in a bar. And uh, he was talking to Rupert, right, the former owner of the football team, the soccer team. And Rupert wants to choose the lineup for the game. And he's, uh, he's shooting darts in the bar. And Ted Lasso, he's doing a terrible job. He's missing the target. And Rupert says, okay, well, why don't, we, why don't we wager? And Ted says, what do you have in mind? He goes, why don't we play darts? And whoever wins gets to choose the lineup of the game. So Ted says, well, man, I guess that's fine. And he's throwing darts and he's missing 
you know, missing the bullseye. So then Rupert says, okay, game on. And he takes his own like container with his own darts, like these special like fancy darts. And, you know, and you think Ted would, would like be phased by this, but he's not. He goes, oh, I forgot. I'm not right-handed. <laughs> Starts throwing darts. Bam. And then the scene ends when he asks, well, now what do I need to do to win? How, what's the score? How, how do I need to win? And the barkeep tells him. And, and this is what happens. Mm. Mate, what do I need to win? Two triple 20s and a bullseye. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Mm. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work, and all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, and so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions. You know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to I was 16 when he passed away. people who used to belittle me, if you couldn't hear it, uh, they used to belittle me and it had nothing to do with me. It's just that they were judgmental. They had weighed and measured everything and they knew everything about everyone instead of being curious. Because if they had been curious, they would have asked a question like, hey, Ted, have you ever played darts? And I would have said, yes, sir. Every day between the ages of 12 and 16, every Sunday afternoon until my dad died. Barbecue sauce. Bam. Bullseye. Uh, and that cough that you heard in the video, that, that is a screen recording that I made this morning. I have a, I don't know if you knew this, I have a sermon buddy every morning. His name's Robert. Uh, he usually gets out of bed around, I don't know, 4, 45, something like that. And just, he loves his daddy so much he wants to spend optimal time uh, with me at all hours. So as I'm, as I'm working on a Ted Lasso bit, uh, he's uh, coughing in my face. So uh, that's what you heard in... <clears throat> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> That's what you heard. Stay curious. I hope that you are curious about what God is doing and that you are curious about who your neighbor is. Instead of thinking that you have it all figured out and that you have them all figured out. Church is our embodied confession that Jesus is Lord where we work out our wrestling with God and our neighbor. A couple of statements I want to show you. Church is where we exercise our curiosity 
about God and neighbor. Church is also where we find comfort, conviction, and challenge. Yes, church should be a comforting place. If church is an uphill climb, you might not be in the right one, and that's okay. Church should be a comfort. Like, for example, um, I visited Nathan Ballard in the hospital this week. Nathan uh, was hit by a car uh, after work uh, and went to LSU Hospital. And <clears throat> he was in and out of uh, consciousness and he wasn't responding well to the nurses. So I came in um, and I said, Hey, Nate, Pastor Matt from Asbury. And his eyes opened up. He said, Pastor Matt, what are you doing here? I said, well, son, I was asking you the same question. I said, how are you feeling, man? He goes, well, they got me tied up to all these machines. I said, mm. I said well, maybe, maybe you can help me out. Uh, I'm working on uh, God of War Ragnarok right now on the PS4, and I just cannot get into Asgard. And sure enough, he told me how to get there. His eyes opened up. Yeah, his eyes opened up. And he was like, he was like well, you know, it, well, you have to do this and you have to defeat this guy and you have to... Y'all, that's church. The place where Nate knows he can be himself and where people know him. Right? I hope you are curious about your neighbor. That Nate is a gamer. Right? My... I hope we are filled with a sense of curiosity. And Raymond, Raymond is a gamer. I was just, we were sitting in a trustees meeting and he all of a sudden talk, started talking about online gaming. I said, excuse me? <laughs> what? Yeah, he can mop the floor with me on online gaming. I hope you are filled with a holy curiosity of the people of Asbury. You will never be bored. Church is a place where we are curious about God. And also our neighbor. Church is a place where we find comfort and conviction. It's not a place where we just have our needs met. It's also a place of conviction where we say, mm, my faith needs to have more skin on it. So I need to go out and serve. A conviction of the Holy Spirit. And also a challenge where we look one another in the face and say, hey, how's it going? How is it with your soul? That great Wesleyan question that we are to ask ourselves. And I see it's, all, it's almost 11 o'clock. Let me wrap this up. I'm so, everybody's like, I thought we were having red beans today. <laughs> They're cold now. All right, let me wrap it up. Let me wrap it up. Church is also where we point to the activity of God. It is a very bold assumption to say that God only works in the church and only the United Methodist Church at 3200 Airline Drive. That's bold. The church is supposed to point to the activity of God, where God is moving. That might happen in the tent city behind First Methodist downtown. That might happen in the third grade Sunday school class. That might happen at LSU Hospital when someone says, oh my gosh, let's talk about video games. We are to point to where God is at work. We are not the authors of where God is at work, but we are to love God enough to point to where God is working in the world. Church is an embodied confession that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord confession needs to have legs on it. And it needs to be in the community. And it's a place where we wrestle with learning to love God and to love neighbor. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.